Hey everybody, it's Christopher Saul with MidBay News' Update Interview Podcast. I'm here with Heather Venable. I messed it up even though I said I wasn't going to. Uh, Heather Venable, who is with Air Command Staff College over in Montgomery, Alabama. And I had one simple question, I thought, that I was trying to figure out, and I thought I knew the answer to, but turned out to be totally wrong. And that was, you know, how many uh, license plates for each service branch, at least in the state of Florida, uh, does each branch have represented? And I thought surely the Air Force or the Navy would have the most, but no, it's the smallest branch of the military, uh, the Marine Corps that has the most. And so I wanted to bring Heather on in order to talk a little bit about why that might be, even though the Marine Corps is the smallest branch and they only have one small little base here in Florida, that they have the most representation on the state's license plates. So Heather, um, if you could, uh, but I guess before we talk about that, talk a little bit about yourself and what you do over at Maxwell, and um, then we'll get right into it. Okay, great. The first thing I have to say is my standard government employee disclaimer. Everything I say does not reflect the Department of Defense or the U.S. Air Force. It's only my personal opinion. So Got it. I'm going to put that out of the way. I am a professor of air power. I've been doing that for about eight years, and we teach majors of all branches, including the Marine Corps to think more about the operational and strategic employment of air power. This is a very different pattern than I thought I would go down. As we often find in life, we are thrown curveballs, but it's been a great journey. But I began my journey thinking about the Marine Corps because I had the honor and privilege to be born into a family where my dad had served in the Marine Corps. And my sort of part of, of my uh, identity became linked to the Marine Corps because my dad, to me, so many of the characteristics he displayed, um, I began connecting with his service in the Marine Corps and the discipline and the other traits that they had instilled in him. And he also always made the the argument that he had been about to be drafted into the Army in the Vietnam War, but the Army was not tough enough for him, so he decided that he needed to enlist in the Marine Corps. And I wanted to know how on earth he arrived at that conclusion. And so I began a, um, a long search back into the Marine Corps' understanding and history to figure out how it had arrived to be the very intriguing institution that it is today. And what did you find out? Well, I started in the Mexican-American War from 1845 to 1848. It was a very, very weird to me because these Marines did not sound at all like Marines that I knew. And instead, they even described themselves as soldiers, which that's a good way to get yourself punched in the face or some other sort of response if you call a Marine a soldier today. And what I learned is that the Marines had not developed their distinct identity that they have today. Although most people assume that this identity was just sort of fully formed when from the Marine Corps' birth. But in fact, the Marine Corps pretty much made it up, invented um, most of it, and really did that in the period between the Civil War and World War One. And uh, why did they why did they come up with this this lore for themselves? What was what was the purpose of it? Well, they were not a very well respected branch of the military. After the Civil War, um, they were even smaller. They were uh, the Navy did not want them. The Navy wanted them off their ships so they could take care of their own. And the Marines, for whatever reason, um, 
wanted to claim that they were elites, but they couldn't do it yet because that, you know, there was no Instagram. There's not the culture that we have today of sort of self-promotion. And so it was, it was not respectable or acceptable to claim that you were elite. And so what happened is that the, as ideas about marketing changed in the U.S. Um, after the Industrial Revolution, the Marine Corps kind of seized on and was the first mover in making claims to elitism. And they did it in many ways by denigrating the Navy and saying, you know, we're the real men. We're out in front. We're risking our lives while you guys are back behind you know, in your in your ships protected. And so there is a, a very much an element of gender and masculinity that they used. But the Marine Corps' brilliance was that they were really the first ones to want their in, uh, members to love the institution and not just sort of serve in it. So there was an emotional attachment that they they began inculcating in their members. And how did they, what What were some like prime examples from your research that you found that they did in order to uh, make Marines care about being Marines? I think one of the the interesting examples for um, when the Marines were in the Boxer, participating in the Boxer Rebellion in China, they very much pushed this democratic idea of officers and men being very equal. So they were they contrasted the way that they, the officers would just have sit around and, and eat with the enlisted Marines. And they would they look at the British and say, you, you, you guys are so snobby. And here we are. We're part of a egalitarian organization. Things like that, I think, were um, powerful examples of that ethos that they were uh, using. And they were in so many different situations where they could see other services that that helped them refine how they wanted to view themselves in distinction from other people. So as an academic, what are, what are some of the adjectives that would you, you would use to describe today's core uh, and how they might be different than other service branches? Um, I think that there's an interesting air that somehow gets instilled in Marines and they just carry themselves differently. And I don't know how they do that. My research stopped at, at World War One, but there's, uh, if, if you put a Marine next to anyone, um, and I think even if you just put them in the same uniform, but then just how they wore their uniforms and, and how they, they just carry themselves, there's a, there's a, a key distinction that is they carry with them um, often throughout. So that is, that is something that they have mastered. So uh, I know your research stopped at World War One, but as a, as a I guess a academic exercise, how would you hypothesize how what you what you found in your research uh, still exists today in the Corps? I think that it has the Marine Corps' basic culture uh, emerged almost fully formed uh, before World War One has has remained remarkably consistent. The Marine Corps created this idea of a distinctive elite warrior and has continually refined that image to make it more modern and up to date. But the, the essence of the, the message is, is very similar. Um, they don't shy away from saying, hey, you're going to go into combat. Uh, that is not something to shy away because it is viewed as a almost as a privilege. So for example, I was recently looking at 
Army, Navy, and Air Force recruiting websites. And the Army and the Navy have this big headline that says, you know, up to $60,000 or whatever it is in bonuses. And then they also have, you know, be a better person. This is going to be an exciting journey. You're going to challenge yourself and grow. But there's not as much mention in, um, of war. The Marine Corps, by contrast, they do not have those big headlines of bonuses, although I'm pretty sure they still give them. They don't advertise them. And even if you go on their webpage that's talking about financial benefits, where it would be sort of the most, um, crass isn't the right word, but pragmatic, they have the loftiest, most idealistic language you could ever imagine. So um, because you are battling for us, we will provide for you. You need to be provided for because you are battling for us. Your brothers will always be by you. It is the most um, rhetorical discussion of, of, of pay and benefits that you could possibly imagine. So that's an interesting uh, indication of how the Corps is able to tightly hone and and connect with potential Marines by a very consistent and, and tightly focused message in all things that it does. So more or less, it's like, um, you know, the real, the real benefit of joining the Marine Corps is that you'll have these, you know, brothers in battle, and it will also pay you and give you like college benefits if you want. Yeah. And, and they don't even come out and, and say that it's all sort of blended seamlessly into this, this one message that, you know, you, you've, you earn the benefits through what you are for, how you are willing to battle for the country. Um, but it's not, it's not as transactional as the other services. Um, in some cases, I don't know if they have to be, or if they decide to be that way. In some ways they are seeking to cast a far wider net than the Marine Corps. Got it. And does it work? The Marine Corps currently seems to, yes, be the most successful. And back when I was looking at, you know, right before World War One, was also being very successful. And then sometimes, in some cases, it was so successful that it was able to stop recruiting for itself and, and help out the Navy. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I think it, there's, a, there's a timeless message that when you don't need as many recruits as some of the other services that you can... Um, you can use a more consistent message in a way that might not be as appealing to an organization that needs a much bigger cross-section of society to fill its ranks to, to meet its recruiting quotas. So are there any takeaways that you noticed from your research uh, that the other branches could apply to their recruiting campaigns or philosophies in order to either get more recruits or get a higher quality of recruits, something like that? Well, what the Marine Corps did was even as it was developing its recruiting, it was also developing its publicity. So those went hand in hand. And so it was seeking to increase the extent to which people outside of the Marine Corps identify or celebrated the Marine Corps, as well as attract people to the Corps and then keep them loyal to it. And one of the clever things that they did was they would use newspaper articles. They would make these draft uh, newspaper articles and then put them out to newspapers all across the country. And some of them were even personalized, talking about, you know, Johnny Dean from Portland, Oregon has done better than anyone else ever in the history of the Marine Corps at this marksmanship event. And isn't that great? 
And so just those kind of personalized connections that could um, go back to local communities and reinforce um, and make them feel proud. I think, I can't prove it now at this point, but I I think that must have been um, a way to improve and and kind of be a masterful example of civil military relations, which, you know, right now there are less people in civilian society who necessarily know people in the military. Military seems to create military, so it becomes a, a family business type thing. And this is one way that the Marine Corps was was reaching out and, and exemplifying, you know, knitting so, together the civil and military society. So like every Marine a rifleman, but every Marine also a press agent sort of thing? Like <laughs> Yes, yes. And actually, um, every Marine a rifleman, I do not think originated in my period. That is one of the ideas that came about later. And the reason and I have not done the research, so I just have a, a hypothesis on this. The reason that came about is because I think that the Marine Corps began diversifying as it got more complex, as it was preparing for World War II, and that the whole reason that that uh, slogan needed to arise was because now not every Marine was a rifleman. Not every Marine was really infantry to the extent that they had been. Had been. And so now to preserve the homogeneity of the, the culture that that kind of idea was needed where it hadn't been needed before. So, so now that you've uh, put your research together into book form, um, what, what's next for you? What are you looking to research next? Is it still going to be uh, Marine Corps related? Or are you going to go broader or do something totally different? Well, I have been doing mostly air power stuff now since I work for the Air Force. However, I do have an upcoming conference presentation. And what I'm going to be doing is, I'm really intrigued by this painting that's often displayed for the Battle of Bellow Wood okay. in 1918. And it shows a Marine and he's bayoneting a person on the ground, a German, who's wearing a gas mask. Well, what's interesting is that this picture was painted in World War II. And the, the painter, whose name escapes me right now, uh, he actually... He was, you know, grew up in the beginning of the 1900s, and he was very, um, did not like the way that the U.S. had treated Native Americans, uh, which I think is interesting because here he had some some opposition to that, but ended up being a combat artist for the Marine Corps, although he did not have any military experience. Now, this picture, uh, I have my own interpretation of it, but it is held up as showing sort of the Marines warrior-like approach and identity, uh, but it was not made by a warrior. So my project is looking at the imagery of the Marine Corps, its internal publications, um, its pictures, its paintings, things that came out of World War II, and, and try to understand how realistically are they depicting combat? Why are they doing that? Why aren't they doing that? So that is my my project after Christmas and my teaching load settles down a little bit. Perfect. So Heather, uh, if people want to reach out to you and ask more questions or if they want to read read and buy your book or uh, just learn more about what you're doing in general, where can they find all this stuff uh, about you or about your work? Well, LinkedIn is a good place to find me. And Naval Institute Press is also a good place to buy my book, especially this time of year when it tends to go on sale and have free shipping. So Naval Institute Press is a great place. 
just just in time for Christmas, right? Yes, that's right. That's perfect. Well, hey, Heather, thank you again for your time and for being with us and explaining to us a little bit more about the history of uh, the PR efforts, really, of the Marine Corps. I really, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. All right. Thank you so much.